Hey, morning. If you're watching online, hey, I want to also say we're glad that you are tuned in. Uh, it's just uh, good being with my church family. And so uh, many of you know we're in a series right now called uh, Rebuild, and we're doing a study on Nehemiah because I said last week we're, we're living in a, in a time where we look around and we see what's happening in our city. We look around, we see what's happening even in some of our own lives. I'm, I'm familiar with some of your stories out there. And we look around, we see even what's happening in the church. And we realize there's some rebuilding that needs to be done. And so Nehemiah has a lot of principles to teach us how we can do that, how we can rebuild. And this morning, I specifically want to focus on the church. How are we going to tackle this tough job of rebuilding right here at Edinburgh Church? Because I can tell you there's some rebuilding that needs to happen right here because of COVID and uh, all that. And so it's going to take all of us. And the title of this message uh, this morning is called, We Got Work to Do, okay? Uh, we got some work to do. We, we're going to have to all step up and do our part if we're going to rebuild as a church. I, I came across this. These were some things that people had put on resumes that I don't think went too well for them, okay? One person said uh, on a resume, hey, I received a plague for salesperson of the year. <laughs> wonder if they were talking about COVID. I don't know, but I think they meant plaque. Okay. Someone else said, hey, it's best for employers that I don't work with people. <laughs> oh, maybe they were playing at the zoo or something like that. I don't know. Someone else said, I'm a perfectionist and rarely, if, if, ever forget a detail. I think they forgot something there. Someone else said, I have become completely paranoid, trusting completely no one and absolutely nothing. <laughs> at least they're honest. Someone else said, instrumental in ruining entire operation for a Midwest chain store. I think they meant running. Kind of wonder what store that was. Uh, finished eight in my class of ten. It's better than two other people. And then how about this one? Hey, references none. I've left a path of destruction <laughs> behind me. Hopefully none of you have put that on, on your resume. Listen, I don't care what you put on your resume. I just want you to apply. I want you to apply for being a part of the local church. And if you're a guest this morning, if you're visiting this morning, and maybe you're out of town, what, wherever your home church is, I want you to apply being a part of your local church. Okay? And so I want to start this morning just talking about, like, why does the church matter? Why is it so important that we're involved in, in the local church. Let me give us just a few. These are very general uh, reasons. I could do a whole, you know, series on, on this question. But these are, these are very general reasons why the church matters. Here's the first one. First is because it's God's idea. Let's not forget, the church is God's idea. Uh, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not over." Come it, okay? I, I, I don't know about you. I always found this statement by Jesus like a little confusing. Uh, I never understood why he said the gates of hell will not overcome it. Because gates don't attack, right? 
And I realize part of the problem in trying to understand what Jesus is saying here is, is rooted in that many of us, we see ourselves as being on the defense. We see the church as being on, on the defense. So that doesn't really make a lot of sense, Jesus, that you're saying the gates won't overcome us. But if you actually understand what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that the church is on the defense. He's saying the church is on the offense. We're attacking the gates of hell. And he's saying the gates of hell will not overcome you. You will burst through. You will push hell back. The church is not on the defense. The church should be on the offense, pushing hell back wherever it goes. And so we need to understand that the church is the most important institution on the face of this planet. It's more important than government, any governmental leader. It is the church that protects and preaches and promotes The gospel of Jesus Christ, which saves people's souls for eternity. It is the church that does that. This is God's idea. It is the most important institution on the face of this planet. That's the first reason it matters. Second reason it matters is because it's how we grow. The church is how you and I I grow. So we hear the preaching of God's word. So we worship together as we are in community with one another and, and practically and, and what we call small groups here, as we serve one another, as we learn how to encourage one another, how to forgive one another, okay, how to love the, with Jesus style love, this is how you and I grow. You can't grow in any other place that I know of like you will if you are actually involved in a part of a local church. I remember a, a young woman coming to our church many years ago, and she joined a small group. She had just given her life to Christ, and uh, she joins this community group, and we hear from the community group, yeah, she was in our community group, and, and she, was, she, she was dropping some cuss words <laughs> in, our, in, in our time together. And, uh, you know, some, some pretty big words. And, and, um, and I remember Pastor Bob and I heard about that, we learned about it, and we were like, yes, we've got a cusser, all right? Okay, because what that told us, we weren't celebrating the fact that she caused, we were celebrating the fact that someone who had just become a Christian and was rough around the edges felt comfortable coming into Edinburgh and being a part of the community here. We were celebrating that. Well, if you were to meet this woman today, she doesn't cuss anymore. At least not in small group, all right? I don't know if she stopped to tell her, I don't know. But she doesn't cuss it. She's changed. God is working. Now she's at work telling her coworkers about Christ and how much she loves her church. You would see a complete change in this person's life. Why? Because she was involved in a part of the local church. The church is how you and I grow, okay? Third reason, though, why the church matters is because it is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Notice you, that's plural there, by the way. It's not singular, it's plural. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I've been a pastor long enough to know that when people are in their time of need, when people are in their time of despair, when people don't know where to turn or what to do, they look for the building that has the cross on top. They look for the local church. When people need hope, they turn to the church. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, And I want to be careful here because this couple, this family might be here this morning. And if you are, I just want you to know we love you and we're so glad you're here. But they came in a couple weeks ago and they found Pastor Bob and they said, "Uh, there's a dark spirit, some kind of evil spirit tormenting our our home and our lives. And and, and would any of you pastors be willing to come? There's some pastors here who could come to our, our home and pray this 
this evil spirit out of our home. And, and Pastor Bob found out this was actually a, a, a Muslim uh, family. And he was like, well, uh, why, why don't you, I'm just curious, why didn't you ask your imam to, you know, do this? And they're like, well, our imam doesn't know anything. So we came here. And so Pastor Bob and some of the, and some of the staff, along with Jeff Calm, they, they went over to this house and did what traditionally is called an exorcism and prayed to cast out this dark, evil spirit out of this family and then got to share the gospel with them and tell them about Jesus. Okay? Well, get, get this. So that happened last Wednesday. On Friday, two days later, I, I'm alone in the office doing some work, and a family pulls up, a mom with, with, with two young kids, and she comes to the door and rings the doorbell, and I go, hey, how can I help you? She says, uh, there's an evil spirit tormenting me and my children in my home. Is there a pastor here who can pray this evil spirit out of our, out of our lives? And uh, I'm, at first I was sitting there thinking, is this the same? It wasn't. Completely different family. Shows up two days later needing the same thing, needs a dark spirit prayed out of their life. And so I got to stop right there. And, and keep in mind, while she's telling me this, because she said the spirit is especially affecting my son. He looked like he was about five years old. While she's saying that, he's got a Bible in his hand. He pulls a page out of the Bible, just rips a page out of the Bible, puts it under his feet, and is doing this while mom's talking. I'm like, let's pray, okay? And so I prayed, I prayed this evil spirit out of their lives, out of, out of I did an exorcism right there at door two, okay? And then she said, as soon as I was done with the prayer, she said, I, she said thank you so much, but you need to be aware. She, she said, you're messing with a very powerful spirit. Um, and uh, I said, no, you need to understand something. I said, the one who lives in me is greater than the one who's in the world. I said, I, I, you know, I got Jesus in me. And I said, here's the thing. You need Jesus too because the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that I can cast the spirit out. But if you don't have Jesus inside of you, if you don't have the one in you that's more powerful than the world, that spirit is going to go get other spirits and it's going to come back and make your life worse off than it was before. That's what Jesus teaches. So you need Jesus. And I got to share the gospel with this woman and say, hey, and she might be here today. And if you're here, we love you and we're glad you're here. Okay, this, friends, two exorcisms in one week. Are you hearing me? We are living in some dark, evil times. And when people are in their timing, I don't mean to yell. I don't want to scare you. I do want to wake you up. It is my responsibility as your pastor to wake you up. We are living in dark times. And when people are in their place of need, they will look for the building that has the church on top because we are the hope of the world. Listen, and it's not just one of us. It's not just the pastoral staff. I hate that story in one sense because you're going to hear, oh, the pastor's going to. I want you doing this stuff. You need to be equipped so you can fight back, so that you can help your neighbor. They're going to need it, I'm telling you. You better learn how to step up and be part of the church. Because here's the thing, we don't come to church. We don't just come to church. Friends, we are the church. It's, it's part of our identity. It's who you are. Saying, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't need church. I don't come to church. That is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction of terms. It's like saying, dry water, clean dirt, 
victorious Packers fan, okay? I, I don't know. Okay, I apologize for that. It is a contradiction of term. You, are, you don't just come to church. Friends, you are the church. It is your identity. And so when I give a message on the church, here's what I know the temptation for some of you is going to be. It's going to be, oh, he's talking to my neighbor this morning. You know, the one who grew up in the church and loves the church. And wants to be a part of the church and wants to serve. That's great for them, but he's talking to them. No, listen, I'm talking to every single one of us this morning. What I'm going to be asking of you, and it's not me asking, it's, it's, it's what God is asking because it is who you are. It's part of your identity. And so what I want to do is we, we dive back into Nehemiah 2. I want to give us four ways all of us can help rebuild Edinburgh Church, can help rebuild this church. And again, if you're visiting or, or you're from out of town, take this back with you and, and join forces with the local church where you come from. This will apply to all of us, okay? Uh, but here's the first thing we're going to see as we pick up, back up in, in Nehemiah chapter 2. We have to be present, okay? We've got to be present. Look at this. Verse uh, uh, 11, uh, chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And just to give you kind of an, uh, you know, some context here, you can read the first 10 verses of chapter 2 on your, on your own time. Uh, last week we saw Nehemiah prayed that Artaxerxes, would, he would have favor with Artaxerxes to get permission to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, God answered that prayer because our God is an amazing God and he will answer our prayers when we come before him humbly as we talked about last week. Okay, and so now Nehemiah finds himself in Jerusalem. Verse 11, after I had arrived in Jerusalem, and I had been there three days. I set out at night with a few men. I did not tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal with me was the one on which I was writing. Okay. Essentially, all I want us to see here is, is where does Nehemiah go? He didn't try to send a letter and say, hey, guys, you need to rebuild. You know? He didn't try to do a Zoom call and say, hey, uh, you there? He could even send an ambassador somebody else to go and do the work. Nehemiah himself went. Nehemiah re realized, uh, I need to be present. And listen, as we gear up for the fall, my challenge to you is to be present, is to be here. And I know, I know in this time of COVID, and I'm looking to you who are watching online right now, I, I know um, some of you have health situations and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, underlying health conditions that keep you and should keep you um, from, from, from maybe coming to church right now. Or maybe you live with someone or know somebody that you're close to, and, and you've got to be cautious. I totally, totally, totally get that. Here at Edinburgh, we believe COVID is real. We believe it's a real thing. And we need lots and lots of wisdom for, for navigating COVID. But I do want to challenge you, if you can be here, don't let COVID be an excuse from being with your church family. Don't let it be an excuse from being here on Sundays because there, it is just not the same when we are doing this thing online. I'm sorry, it's just not. It's not the same. I know for some of you, that's what you're going to have to do for a time. I'm going to ask us. I know it's going to be scary for some of us to have to step out in this COVID world. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and the thought of maybe getting COVID. And, but I'm going to ask us maybe to, to, to take a step of faith here. Maybe, maybe to live by faith over our fear. And by the way, do we understand that the news feeds off fear? Can we at least agree on that? 
You do know they are a for-profit organization who loves it when people are afraid because people tune in and they make more money. We do understand that. Okay, there's going to be some fear-mongering coming, and I'm just going to ask us as the church to take a step of faith and saying we are going to live by faith and we're going to trust God in this season of COVID. By the way, study church history. Study it. Okay, church history. Plagues came through. A lot deadlier plagues than COVID. And the wealthier people would pack their bags and leave. You know who stayed behind? Christians. The church. This was the founding of the first hospitals, y'all. Okay? So hospitals even today still have Christian names attached to them. This is why it started. The Christians didn't pack their bags and leave. And run. they recognized we're on the offense. We're going to stay behind because the person who needs a demon cast out of them is still in our community. And they're going to be looking for someone to pray for them. All right. Again, I know some of us have legitimate reasons. We shouldn't be here. You need wisdom. I'm praying that God will give you wisdom. Some of you are going to want to write emails to me and, 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 and tell me how bad COVID is and why. Listen, you can write me, Joshua Kirsch, edinburghchurch.org, okay? He will just let Josh know all about it. I'm going to keep challenging you to be here if you can be here. So just know that in advance before you tune in next week. All right. The second thing uh, we see in Nehemiah, we got to see the problem. We got to see the problem. Verse 13. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. How do you like that for a (laughs) dung gate? Probably move a little faster right there. But examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. I mean, the rubble was so bad. The city walls are in such rubble here that he can't even get through this area. He has to completely take a different route. So he says, I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Just want us to notice something. Nehemiah, again, he doesn't send someone else to do this. He doesn't say this is somebody else's problem. I'm going to let someone else see what the, the damage is. Nehemiah says, this is my responsibility. I need to know what the damage is so that I can be part of the solution. And I just want to ask us here, do you, those of you who come to Edinburgh Church and are part of this, this do you see yourselves as, as owners or do you see yourself as renters? Because there's a difference. You know, do you see yourself as an owner? I, I'm a part of this thing. Uh, I'm in this thing. Or do you just see yourself as a renter? I just come to this thing. Because there's, there's a big difference. Like if you've ever rented a rental car, I mean, can we just be honest? You treat a rental car very differently than you treat your own car. You know, it's like your own car, the check engine light goes on, right? You, I, it's my responsibility. I got to take it in. I got to get that fixed. A rental car, check engine light, somebody else is going to deal with it. Like I drive my car, I'm kind of like a grandpa driver in my car because I don't want to ruin my Kia transmission. Those things are very fragile, okay? So I'm like, I drive like a grandpa. I don't, I don't speed. I'm not the guy at the light trying to take off, you know, because I want to protect my transmission and make it last forever. You put me in a rental car, you would think I'm entering the Daytona 500, all right? I'm going to drive that baby. Okay, and my point is there is a difference between being an owner who when you see a problem, you know you got to step up and take care of it, and just a renter. It's someone else's problem. How do you see yourself when it comes to Edinburgh Church? 
Do you, are you a part of this thing? Are you a partner? Do you own it? When there is a problem, do you step up and say, I will take care of that need? I remember walking in the bathroom a while back. You know, this was before COVID and everything. And I'm not going to say who this person is because it will embarrass them. But I walked into the bathroom. You know, the bathroom's down there. And I caught this person, like, when this was, like, during between services, picking up the paper towels off of the floor that other people probably renters, had just thrown and littered all over the bathroom floor. He was picking them up, and then he grabbed clean paper towels, and he started wiping the water off around the sinks so that the next person who came in would have a clean bathroom to step into. Friends, that's an owner. That's not a renter. That's someone who says, no, 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 no. This is my church. Is that how you think about Edinburgh? This, this is my church. I belong to this church. That's where I want you. I want you to be an owner not a renter. You know, the Bible says we are one body, but we're made up of many parts, and we all have our role to play here. Are we looking for those problems? Are we seeing where the needs are so that we can step up and fix that problem? In your handout, uh, I put uh, a link uh, to, to, to our serving page. Because this uh, fall, here's the plan, starting in October. We're going to go back to two services, and we're going to offer children's ministry for at least one of those services. But let me just tell you this. We can't pull this off without you. And so I'm humbly asking you, would you go to that page? Would you look at where we have some needs? And would you consider serving this fall at Edinburgh Church as we try to get things back up and running in, as we try to rebuild? Okay, it brings us to the third thing. That we can learn from chapter 2 of Nehemiah, we've got to work together. We've got to work together. Verse 16. It says, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. For I had not yet told the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any other workers. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. He's saying there is a problem. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a disgrace. This is me right now this morning saying, look, the walls of our church, they, they lie in ruin. Come, join forces so that we can get our church up and running again. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. Let us start rebuilding, they replied. And they set their hands to this good work. And that's what I'm hoping we're going to do as a church. Let us start rebuilding. Let us do this together. You know, an area where we especially need each other right now, if I can just be honest with you and what God's putting on my heart, um, our children just especially need the local church right now. Our grandchildren, for some of you. Friends, do you know that the family is under attack? Do you know that? Do you know there are people who have an agenda to tear down the family? Do you know that your kids are in danger? Do you know that? Okay, 2009, you look up the statistics. 2009, uh, the, 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 the 40% of young adults believed in secular evolution. Okay, 
But now, kids who have just been filtered through public school, filtered through the universities, filtered through public school, filtered through the universities, now it is the overwhelming majority believe in secular evolution, microevolution, that we all evolved from a single cell organism that became a monkey, and now we're nothing more than monkeys, and no wonder mental health is deteriorating for young people across our nation. Uh, you look up suicide rates and see who it's especially affecting. I need you to understand that families, friends, are under attack. There's people who have an agenda who want to indoctrinate your children, who want to tear down the family. There are organizations I could mention right now, but it would probably create problems, who say they want to disrupt your family unit. You need to be aware of this. You need to be awake to what's going on. Look at these role models. Some of these kids, I mean, are looking up to. I encourage you, parents, go look up some of the things Cardi B has said recently. And how if you're a young person and you're reading that, how that might affect your psyche. And see, what happens is young people, they look at that and they say, ah, you know, they're successful. They have money. Even we adults do this, if if we're to be honest. So, so maybe I should go down that path. Because, I mean, they don't have God in their life, but they, they're successful and, and they have money. Friends, I need to tell you, many of these people have sold their souls to Satan. And so what happens is young people and even adults, they say, okay, well, I'm going to walk that path. But for you, it's the trap Satan set and it leads to your destruction. Of course, <laughs> Satan's going to let a few people be successful if he knows it'll lead to you and your kids' destruction. He'll give them wealth. He'll give them success. Until that day comes where they stand in front of the king, we all know how it ends at that time. And Satan, who used them as pawns, who's called the ruler of this world, will have a field day with them because he used them. I just, I'm your pastor. I don't want your kids, I don't want you losing your kids. I'm not gonna, on my watch, we're not gonna lose kids, amen? Goodness. This is why the church matters. This is why we fight for family. This is the heart behind this ministry. I I learned about this a few years ago. There's these, these elephants. If you've ever studied elephants, it's so cool what they do because they have predators. They got lions they have to deal with. They have hyenas that they got to deal with. But the hyenas and lions know they can't attack the adult elephants. They're too powerful. They're too strong. But they can get the children. They can get the little ones. So when there's a threat, do you know what the big elephants do in the community? Let's call it the church. You know what they do? They form a circle. And they put the children in, in the middle uh, of, of this circle so that the predators can try, but they don't stand a chance. Because when mom and dad and other adults are standing in this circle, those animals are not going to get their children. Church, it's time that we were the elephants. We say, you're not getting our kids. Satan, you can try, but you're going to have to go through us. And that takes all of us, all of us fighting for family, 
Don't let the family deteriorate, friends. There is a temptation to say, you know, to give up on the nuclear family. It's not going to happen while I am your lead pastor. I'm going to preach against that because it is the family that protects, it is the family that defends, and it is the family that passes on the traditions of our faith to the next generation. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and find great delight in his command. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Those words will be true for Edinburgh Church. And I can just tell you, I just want to say thank you for all of you who serve on Iwana, all of those of you who serve in our SWAP, our youth ministry, those of you who serve our kids on Sunday mornings. I can't say, do you know this church has blessed my children? I'm looking at some of you who, who serve. You don't know what you mean to me. You have, you have, you have made my family better. I've, I've told you this story before. I mean, I'll never forget third grade, my son Logan, the teacher asked in public school, what does it mean to be a good person? And Logan stood up and he said, to be a good person is to be filled with the fruits of the spirit. And the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how you be a good person. And then he sat down. And people came up to him and they said, they, they said, Logan, will you write? They weren't even Christians. They were just like, can you write that down? That, like, that was amazing. Friends, you say, well, you're, he's the pastor. He did not learn that from me. He learned that from you. Those of you who invest in my kids during Awana and Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, he learned that from you. Now, yesterday, my kids came up to me and they said, dad, do you know where Honeyham comes from? And I said, where? How, how, how was it invented? They asked. I don't know. They said, well, Winnie the Pooh spilt his honey all over Piglet, okay? So they still have a dark side. I don't want to paint this picture like they've arrived. Because none of us have arrived. But they are a work in progress, and you are helping them to love and know Jesus. And that makes my family a better place. And I love you for it. I say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And we're going to need more people to step up. If we're going to get our children's ministry off the ground again starting in October... I just humbly want to ask, you don't have to be a great Bible teacher. You, you, you don't. You just need to be present. You just need to be willing to be there so that our children can see godly men and women, others who besides their parents love this Jesus and live for this Jesus. I'm telling you, it makes a difference when we work together. Okay, but this brings us to the last thing I want to talk about this morning. We've got to choose God's team. We've got to choose God's team. Verse 19 but when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about this, they mocked us and ridiculed us. Okay, so these are the surrounding people groups around Jerusalem, around Judah, who don't want them rebuilding. They're mocking them. And they say, what is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Okay. Some of you, maybe even if you hear this message this morning, you hear me talking about volunteering or, you know, the fact that our church is going to need help financially. I mean, these things that are just realities to, to, to pull off ministry. Uh, maybe you're sitting here and um, maybe a, a little bit of that attitude of just, you know, oh, here he is asking me to serve, asking me to give up my free time, asking me to, you know, give money to the church. I mean, whatever it is. But friends, I just need to tell you that that attitude is from hell. This is not 
an attitude that comes from the Holy Spirit. And look at what Nehemiah says in verse 20. He says, so I answered them and I said, the God of heaven is the one who will grant us success. God will give us victory. I mean, you are either on one of two teams. You are either on team Jesus or you are on team Satan. There is no in-between. But I can tell you this. If you are on team Jesus, you will have success. You will be victorious. You might have to walk through fire. Nehemiah will. But in the end, you will be the one standing victoriously. Jesus will grant his people victory. And then Nehemiah says, we, his servants, will start rebuilding, but you have no portion, right, or claim in Jerusalem. And you're not going to get to enjoy any of the benefits that come from what God wants to do in this world and what he wants to do right here at Edinburgh Church. Friends, what team are you on? Because you can come to church and say, well, that makes me a Christian. I'm telling you, it's not enough. Saying I'm a Christian just because I come to church, that's like saying because I sit in a garage, I'm a car. We don't come to church, we are the church. Which side are you on here? I want to challenge you to make a commitment to be on Team Jesus. Because it's Team Jesus that wins. It's Team Jesus that gets to enjoy the spoils of victory. And I'm excited for what God wants to do through this ministry. If we will partner together and we will start rebuilding. And we're going to end this morning and we're going to take communion together. And I hope all of you were able to grab, you know, the cup. And just so you know how that works, you peel off the top layer, it's the, the bread. And then you peel off the next layer, it's, it's the cup. If you're watching online, I encourage you, maybe you could grab something, a cracker or something to drink. Because I want us to do this together. And uh, I think this is an opportunity for us to kind of recommit ourselves if we need to. Say, Jesus, I'm going to be on your team. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to be part of what you have established. You said you will build the church. I will be a part of that. And I just want to challenge us to recommit our lives to being a part of the local church this morning. And the bread and the juice, it's a reminder of what Jesus had to do so that we could be his people, so that this thing called the church could even exist. His body had to be broken, his flesh pierced, his blood poured out. And why did he do this? He didn't have to do it, but he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it because he wanted to establish this thing called the church. And maybe some of you come this morning and maybe you come broken. Or maybe you come and you don't feel like you're worthy to be a part of God's church or to have a relationship with God, or maybe you say, how could God ever forgive me for the things that I've done? I just want to remind you, the Apostle Paul felt that way early on in his ministry. The, the Apostle Paul, who, if you remember the story before he became a Christian, actually killed other Christians. He had Stephen killed, stoned to death, a brutal death in, in the streets. 
But then Paul came to realize something. This is why Jesus died. He died for me. He died so that I could have a right relationship with God and I could be forgiven for what I've done and I could have a second chance at life. And he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But it was for this very reason that I was shown mercy so that through me, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example to those, to you, who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And if you come in here this morning and you're broken, you just need some grace, I wanna remind you, this is why Jesus bled. This is why Jesus gave up his body. It's why he died on the cross and let the wrath of God be poured out on him so that you could come freely to the table and be a part of Jesus' team. He did this for every single one of us. And I want you to know you are all invited, no matter what you've done, no matter how you come in this morning, you are invited. So can we join forces and be a part of Team Jesus together? Let's do it, church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we... uh, get our hearts ready. We remember, Jesus, what you've done for us. The the, the church is not just any institution. It's an institution that was paid for and bought for by your blood and broken body on the cross. May we never forget that. And I know there are some out there right now, Lord, who need to just come to you and take part in what you want to do in the world. They need to get off the sidelines and get into the game. They need to join forces so that they can be part of how you want to advance your kingdom here on earth. Maybe specifically here at Edinburgh Church or some other church where they come from. Lord, there's others here. They they don't know if they're worthy to do that. They don't know they could ever be forgiven have a second chance at life. And if that's them, God, I just pray right now you would speak into their hearts, speak into their heart your love, your grace, why you died, why you gave up your life. That's you right now. Listen, I'm talking to you. Here's what I would humbly ask you to do. You just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need some help. Would you forgive me of my sin so that I can be right with God? Would you come into my life and teach me and give me wisdom so that I know how to move forward? Will you empower me right now where I'm at so that I can join forces and be a part of your church, not in hiding, not in isolation, but actually be a part of what you want to do in the world? Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a second chance and giving me a hope in life. I ask this in your name. Amen. You can eat, you can drink uh, whenever you feel right. We're going to play some music over you. And I would just ask that you get your heart right with God this morning.
recommit your life to Team Jesus. And hey, maybe while you're pressing into God this morning, while you're opening up the ears of your heart to hear from him, you might just hear him saying, church, we got work to do. So let's do it together.